Hello, my name is Thomas Berezovsky, and I'm the director of Two Journeys Ministry. If you find Andy Davis's content helpful and you want to help us disseminate free gospel-centered content, please prayerfully consider donating to Two Journeys. All end of your gifts will be matched up to $20,000. Please visit the donate page on twojourneys.org for more information on how to donate. Thank you. Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is part two of episode 43 in the book of John entitled, My Lord and My God, where we discuss John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses today? Well, here we come to the culmination of John's gospel. We come to the purpose statement, uh, which we've cited again and again throughout our studies. We also have John's version of the Great Commission, where he sends out uh, the disciples into all the earth, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Uh, We also see the initial impact of the giving of the Holy Spirit as the disciples begin the time, uh, locked away for fear of the Jews and end up changing the world with utter fearlessness. So that's going to be exciting. But for me, probably one of the greatest aspects of this, other than the purpose statement, which is so important, is Thomas's confession, Mm -hmm. my Lord and my God, and understanding that confession is what we must make in order to be saved. So I'm looking forward to the study today. As am I. Well, so that we can have a sense of where we're at, I'm going to read John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you will withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, Did the disciples receive the Holy Spirit in verse 22? How should we think about the relationship between this verse and Pentecost described in Acts 2? Right. He breathes on them here and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, uh, you know, sends them on that mission. But um, I think fundamentally um, we need to understand I, the Holy Spirit comes forth from the Father and the Son. He said, whom the Father and the Son together will send. And this is this was a big theological debate mm-hmm. between the Western, Eastern and Western Church. But I think it's very clear that the, that the uh, Father and the Son together send forth the Spirit. So I think this is just symbolic. I think Jesus did a lot of symbolic actions. 
like the Last Supper is symbolic. Uh, this is my body. This is my blood. It's just symbolism. And so when he breathes on them, and it's interesting, breath, the Hebrew word for spirit is the same as wind and the same as breath. So there's this this breathing, uh, this moving of the spirit. And so it comes out from Jesus. But I think it's just symbolic. I think what it is, is he's saying, effectively, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just as as Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, in those that 40 days he had with them after he rose from the dead, of which this is included. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said, uh, you know, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So even Jesus said mm. they hadn't been baptized yeah. yet with the Spirit. He's looking forward to looking a power. Looking forward though. to a future baptism. He also says in Luke's gospel, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high whom my Father has promised, the promised Holy Spirit. So none of it's happened yet. This breathing then is not an early mini Pentecost. It's just a symbol that when the counselor of the Spirit comes, he's going to come from Jesus and the Father. Mm. Now in Mark Two seven, Jesus' enemies make a true statement in the form of a question. They ask, who can forgive sins but God alone? Do the disciples here actually have authority and power to forgive other people's sins or to refuse to forgive them? No, I think what's going on here, first of all, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you, receive the Holy Spirit. It's all zeroed in on one thing, the forgiveness of sins. That's Mm. what the gospel is about, that sins would be forgiven, that sinners Mm. would be forgiven, that we would be justified, that is, we would be declared righteous by God. All right, so as they go out, they're going to proclaim the gospel, the good news. They are empowered by Jesus to act as ambassadors. We are ambassadors, Paul says, as as though God were making his appeal through us. So we are messengers like prophets of old. We don't have any authority on our own. We are messengers of the king. We're proclaiming what the king is telling us to say. We don't have any authority. So it's true. Who can forgive sins but God alone? God alone has the power to forgive sins. Mm. But what we do have is we have the ability to proclaim whether someone's sins have been forgiven or not. Mm. It's like one of the translations uh, in a different uh, sense in terms of authority says, um, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But what the Greek actually says is, whatever you bind on earth will be having been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be having been loosed in heaven. So whatever forgiveness you give will be having been already forgiven in heaven. Heaven is what does the forgiving, namely God. What we get to do is announce that sins are forgiven mm. or that they're not. Mm. And so we go out and proclaim the gospel. Based on people's reaction to it, we get to tell them whether their sins are forgiven or not. Mm. And that's important. Suppose we proclaim the message. If you, dear friend, repent of your sins and believe in Jesus, trusting in him for the salvation of your soul, all of your sins will be forgiven. person says, all right, I want to do that. What do I do? Well, Call in the name of the Lord. All right. So they pray. They say, Lord, forgive me. I want, I want to be a Christian. I want my sins forgiven. Please forgive me. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Then they look at you and say, well, are my sins forgiven? And you say, I have no idea. I don't know. Hope it works out for you, friend. Oh nice to spend the time with you. See, it'd be like, what in the world was that? <laughs> but if we're able with the same authority to proclaim what gospel saves, and these, these are the words of the gospel, now based on that, mm. we can tell you with heavenly authority, your sins are forgiven wow. based on your open and unashamed 
confession of Christ as Savior and Lord. Mm -hmm. We can tell them. And conversely, negatively, and this is harder, to say you're still in your sins. You've heard the gospel now, and I have great fear for your soul Mm -hmm. because you've not repented. You're still in your sins. I'm pleading with you. Come to Christ. Mm. So both sides of the equation. Yeah, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. So now we've come to the point in our passage where we're introduced uh, to this interaction between Thomas and Jesus. Mm-hmm. What is Thomas's state of mind and what test does he set for Jesus right. to meet in verses 24 and 25? So Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, the twin, the death of Jesus devastated him. Mm. And he is he's the pessimistic one that said at the time of Lazarus, let's go back Uh, so that we may die with him, you know, all this kind of thing. Maybe kind of a negative individual, I don't know, maybe kind of depressed. Mm. But he's like, nah, I'm out, I'm done. This thing's over. I mean, death is death, it's over. Mm. And so he was saying, look, I don't believe it. I do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And unless I put my finger in the nail marks and my hands on the side, I will not believe. So that's his mentality, his mindset here. Yeah. And this sets the stage for what we find in verse 26, which is the disciples again in a locked room. Is there a relationship between this and what we talked about with the coming of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. How they're still perhaps dealing with fear? What, what can we learn from verse 26? Well, here's the thing. There's not a, not a silver bullet. Even, even when you're gifted and baptized with the Holy Spirit, doesn't mean you'll never deal with fear again. You know, Paul had to talk to Timothy about that. We don't have a, a spirit that uh, makes us a slave again to fear. Mm. So Timothy seemed like an individual. He says in another place, make certain that Timothy has nothing to fear from you. Seemed to be a problem with Timothy, you know? Um, And so I think just because you are a Christian and you know that you go to heaven when you die and you shouldn't be afraid of death and all that, you're still going to be afraid. And so the disciples are there in the upper room. Still the doors are locked. They've not moved off square one. So again, what this shows is we do nothing. I mean nothing. Not even post-resurrection of Jesus. We can't do anything apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they're waiting, and they're in the upper room, doors are locked. Yeah. And Jesus, again, comes into the room and greets them. Peace Peace be be with with you. you. So this is just a consistent refrain in this passage, which, again, I think Mm -hmm. speaks to that kind of unsettledness that they must have been feeling in these days following uh, Jesus' Mm -hmm. death. How does the fact that he immediately turns, Jesus immediately turns to Thomas and seeks to meet the test Thomas has set help to prove the deity of Christ? Just that he knew about it. I mean, you think of it this way. Like, there's this private conversation that Thomas is having with some of the others, and Jesus goes right over to Thomas. And it, I, it would be, it'd be eerie almost. But I mean, by this point, you just know this is who Jesus is. And so there's nothing hidden. There's nothing concealed. He knows everything. He knows exactly what's going on in Thomas's mind. He knows the doubts and the fears. And let's remember, Thomas would be under the same kind of rebuke that the two disciples on the road to Emmaus were in. You know, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. This was predicted. I showed you the scriptures. I showed you, I told you what would happen and you still don't believe. Mm. So he deserves a rebuke here, but instead he gets very gentle, loving teaching. Thomas has set a standard for a test for Jesus. I will not believe unless I am permitted to put my finger in the nail marks Mm. and my hand in the side. So Jesus says, okay. And he comes over to Thomas to say, here's, here's the opportunity. Wow. Now, yeah. we have no evidence that Thomas actually did it. I think he's on the ground at this point. He's just <laughs> falling before him in worship. Mm. Um, we'll get to that in a moment. But, but I think fundamentally, he gives to Thomas a privilege as an eyewitness, as an apostle, that the rest of us will never have, never have. 
Jesus closes verse 27 with that invitation, do not disbelieve, but believe. What's yeah. significant about these words here? Well, just the command. Uh, fundamentally, we are justified by faith, and we are going to serve by faith. Everything we do is by faith. And so doubt is a big deal. Jesus never coddles it, mm. never says, hey, it's fine. I know you're having a hard day. Just, you know, when you get over your disbelief. No, he goes right after it. Stop doubting and believe. He does the same thing in Luke with the disciples generally. Why do doubts arouse in your, arise in your mind? And so he's dealing with their doubts and with their fears. And so he says, go ahead, put your finger in the nail marks, put your hand in the side, stop your doubting and believe. Mm. And so he's going right after Thomas's weakness. And, and Thomas's response is just astounding. In, in what way could Thomas's confession here that we're about to look at in 28 and 29 and Jesus' response be called the pinnacle of John's gospel? Right. How is it an invitation the world. This is the confession we must all make in order to be saved. Nothing less. We have to believe in the incarnation. We have to believe that Jesus is Lord and God. And, and that's the confession. We have to believe in the deity of Christ. Jesus said, um, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. That's mm -hmm. negatively, John 8. Um, and so we must believe in the incarnation. We must believe in the deity of Christ. Now here, let me say something about the Jehovah's Witnesses. They say in John 1, 1, because there's a lack of the definite article, um, you know, in the Greek, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, but not the God, capital G, the God, because there's no definite article. Yes, but the definite article is here. He literally says, the Lord of me and the God of me. Hmm. End of end of story. Hmm. So there, this is open confession of the deity of Christ. If Jesus is not God, he should have rebuked Thomas for his blasphemy. Mm -hmm. But instead, look what he says. So this is what we must confess. And I will say this, Wes, you and I, uh, as we look at a dynamic heaven, we look forward, we still will underestimate forever what it means that Jesus is God. Forever we're going to be learning the deity of Christ and the magnitude of that. It's what heaven will be all about, seeing the magnitude of his glory. Yeah, and Jesus in uh, verse 29 here says, you know, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Yeah. And that's, again, for us to make that confession, yeah. uh, having not physically seen him, but by faith and through what John's recorded and what we have mm -hmm. in the scriptures to be able to say, Jesus is my Lord and my and God. My God. Oh, that's everybody else. Mm -hmm. That's everybody. Mm -hmm. What percentage of those in heaven actually saw Jesus physically raised from the dead before he ascended to heaven? Point oh 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 whatever percent. <laughs> everybody else has not seen yes. and yet have believed. Mm -hmm. And that's all of us. It says in First Peter 1, though we have not seen him, we love him. And so this is who we have. We're all under this blessing. You are, I yes. am, we're under this blessing. It's amazing. And what does John say to summarize Jesus' ministry in verse 30? And why does he focus on the signs, as you mentioned a little earlier? Yeah, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are recorded or written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you may make Thomas's confession, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the Bible is written to give us forgiveness of sins, and life in the name of Jesus. It is written, 2 Timothy 3.15, to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It brings us to this point. That's what scripture is written. But it doesn't say these 
accounts. It's specifically Jesus's miracles. It's Jesus's signs and wonders that are the basis of our faith that Jesus is deity, the miracle accounts, specifically, especially the resurrection. So also we know this about scripture. Scripture is, is, is not exhaustive. It doesn't tell everything. It, it leaves most stuff out. Jesus did lots of things not recorded in the gospel of John, but these ones are written to bring us to faith. Yeah. Now, according to verse 31, what's the point of John's gospel? Is believing the goal or is life in his name the goal? Believing is a means to an end. It's a temporary mm. means to an end. Our faith is temporary. We will someday have uh, an experience of seeing him face to face. So the, the scripture is a means to the end of our faith. The faith is the means to the end of eternal life in heaven uh, and now too. So scripture, now the words of Jesus will last forever and ever, but the actual physicality of turning pages of the Bible and doing all that, we're going to be taught directly by God. So in the meantime, we have John's gospel to bring us to faith so that we would have eternal life with God forever in heaven. Well, Andy, thanks so much for taking the time to look at this amazing passage today. Uh, any final thoughts for us on this passage? Yeah, you know, I just am thankful uh, for your salvation, Wes, and for mine that we get to be included in those. And we, as we read, we read these words and they feed our faith. So I would just exhort all of my listeners to, if you haven't come to faith in Christ, haven't trusted him, read the Gospel of John to the end that you might believe that Jesus is your Lord and your God. And those of you that are Christians listening to this, let this account strengthen your faith in Christ. Mm, may it be so. This has been episode 43 in the book of John. We would invite you to join us next time for episode 44 entitled, Feed My Sheep, where we'll discuss John chapter 21, verses 1 through 25. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification, and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.